Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Uh, hi, everybody, and welcome to the October 11th edition of Macro Minutes called A Gilt-Edged Crisis. Um, UK long-end yields, they are back uh, close to the highs, and U.S. Treasuries and risk assets are back under pressure. And it seems like the only traditional safe haven asset that is performing very well is the U.S. dollar. Even gold, which the gold bugs would tell you uh, should be a hedge against inflation or macro uncertainty, is sitting at uh, two-year lows. What is clear right now is that bond yields uh, will be the ultimate swing factor for broader asset markets. And right now, it's the UK market that's in the driver's seat. In today's edition of Macro Minutes, we're joined by uh, Peter Shafrick to discuss UK monetary and fiscal policy and the gilt market, Blake Gwynn to discuss the US bond market, myself on the Bank of Canada, Canada-US cross-market, and the relationship between yields and risk assets, and finally, uh, Dan Rico on FX markets. Now over to Peter to kick it off on the all-important subject of UK monetary and fiscal policy and uh, the UK bond market. Thank you, Jason. So, as you pointed out, um, the UK market seems to be a bit of the epicenter of what's going on. And um, if you take a step back, the last time we had this call, which was just when yields spiked higher, 30-year guild yields reached 5%, and the Bank of England had just announced um, on the day an intervention. Now, what happened thereafter is that on the back of the announcement of the intervention, we had a quite significant rally uh, by more than 1% in 30-year assets. Um, and thereafter, unfortunately, as you just highlighted, bond yields moved higher. So what happened? Well, what happened is that the actual purchases that the bank um, had conducted were, let's say, a little bit underwhelming, whereas they were announcing that they would potentially buy up to $5 billion per day they ended up buying in the first string of auctions a five billion grand total, um, and that was um, a little bit underwhelming. As yields continued to rise, what then happened is that the bank announced further interventions. So yesterday, they, for instance, they announced that they would buy up to ten billion. Still, ended up buying only a little bit more than eight hundred and fifty million, um, and also launched a repo program, um, and that really hasn't stopped the market selling off either. And then today, just this morning, they announced that they would include index-linked bonds um, in their purchase operation and that they would also temporarily um, stop selling their corporate bond holdings. So we'll now have to see how um, that is impacting the market. So today we have sort of a little bit more of a positive um, reaction to the announcement um, because they also changed a little bit the price-setting mechanism that they would use. Now, however, I would go back to the very first note that we had done um, after the intervention was announced, the first intervention was announced. When you go back to the root cause of this all, <clears throat> it obviously stems from a quite significant widening of the budget balance um, by the government, particularly the inclusion of um, what is now that unfunded tax cuts. Um, and what the fiscal authorities have now promised is that they a, will bring forward their presentation of how they're going to balance the books, presumably through a string of spending cuts. And also the OBR, that's the um, Office of Budget Responsibilities, um, report on how that would shake out for the government finances going forward. Now, 
when we look forward, um, we have put out another note where we looked at the most likely path of funding requirements for the government and the requirement of bonds to be absorbed if the Bank of England was to go ahead with its quantitative tightening program, because as it stands at the moment, on the 31st of October, so that's in around about two to three weeks' time, the Bank of England plans still to also issue, uh, sorry, to also sell some of its government bond holdings. Now, if that's the case, the amount of funding that would be required, particularly on a net basis, is going to be substantially higher than anything that we've seen over the last years, including the period of the global financial crisis. And with the UK's um, credibility a little bit shattered, to say the least, we think that is going to be difficult. So therefore, I think one of the questions um, that needs to be answered um, going forward is A, Will the government regain some of its credibility when it presents the figures? We'll only learn that on the 31st when they present them. Um, and secondly, what is going to be the reaction function of the Bank of England here? And particularly, I would stress, can they really go ahead with the quantitative tightening program? Uh, I would put a big question mark behind that. So. But the long story short is that there's a lot still in flux, and the intervention that we've seen so far has failed to calm the market down, and we reckon that probably some more is required um, in some form or shape, and I guess that's going to be um, a conversation for another call that we're going to have, and I'll hand it back to Jason. Okay, great. Uh, thanks a lot, Peter. Uh, next up is uh, Blake to discuss the U.S. bond market and um, a situation where yields are edging back uh, to the recent highs. Yeah, hey, thanks, Jason. So <clears throat> I think the big focus this week, um, we've got the FOMC minutes release on Wednesday and CPI on Thursday. Those will be the big drivers in the U.S. Of course, um, in the near term, we do have um, quite a bit of sensitivity in U.S. markets to uh, some of the things Peter was discussing. Um, we've seen a pretty high correlation between U.S. rates and what's been going on in, in U.K. rates over the last several weeks uh, You know, with, with volatility. But, but that being said, um, you know, I think the U.S. drivers, again, minutes and CPI this week. Um, you know, in my view, I think the minutes are largely going to uh, um, kind of further on this idea that we kind of heard Evans speak about this weekend. Again, Evans is uh, uh, probably a bit more on the dovish side, but I think his view is probably one that, um, you know, the, the majority on the committee probably ascribe to, is that um, as we kind of progress into uh, further restrictive territory, um, you know, the Fed's going to be a bit less dated dependent. I think they have had this um, idea in mind for a while to get to a considerably restrictive level uh, and basically hold rates there, um, you know, allow those kind of long and variable lags to work, uh, you know, for whatever that's worth. Um, I think they're, you know, they, they, the path that they've outlined in the dots um, is something that, you know, they see kind of delivering on and, and, and then basically sitting. Um, you know, the, the less data dependent piece, um, you know, that really means that um, any kind of further uh, hawkish data, it, 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 they're not going to be reacting to it in the same way as they did, um, you know, two months or three months ago when, um, you know, really everything was about front-loading and getting the terminal rate um, as high as possible, as quickly as possible. Now we're into that restrictive territory, and, and that kind of reaction has changed, and they're going to let the high overall level of rates uh, do more of the talking and less uh, kind of the pace of hikes that they're delivering at each individual meeting. Um, importantly, I, I don't see this, um, you know, I think there's a tendency in the, in the media and, and people want to call this a pivot. Um, you know, to me, a pivot's are always been kind of about bailing on the dots, bailing on what's already priced in and kind of pulling back because they're worried about growth or labor side. Um, that's not really what this is. To me, this is simply delivering on the path that's outlined in the dots, the path that's more or less priced into the markets right now. Um, you know, overall, I think uh, if this is the case, if they, uh, you know, kind of 
preach this kind of uh, or, or outline this uh, decrease in data dependence, um, you know, idea that they're going to get to this restrictive level and hold. If, if that is what we see in the minutes, um, I think that's overall a bit bullish. Uh, you know, there's still persistent short base uh, in the market. I think still, um, you know, a decent crowd hoping for a 5% plus terminal. Um, and this would kind of throw some cold water on, on that idea. Um, you know, what's that mean for the CPI release later this week? Well, obviously, with a bit less data dependence, if that is the case, um, it would take a little bit of the, I think, upside risk off of that CPI print. Um, you know, I think a modest beat basically can lock in that 75 basis point um, hike at the November meeting. Um, you know, I want to I want to highlight, I mean, there were uh, nine members of the FOMC that saw four and three-eighths or less terminal rate at the last uh, in the last SCP dot. So by no means was it a foregone conclusion that we were going 7550. Um, again, that is our house call, but, um, you know, it's, it's worth noting that, you know, this still seemed to be an open debate on the committee. So 7550 was no, by no means locked in. 5050 was still a possibility that's out there. Um, but if we get a beat on that CPI, that could lock in 75. Um, if it's a very large beat, um, I think what's probably more likely is that uh, we price more into uh, December meeting. But what happens is that really comes out of that January, which is currently right around 25 basis points. So really more of a pull forward than uh, an overall increase in uh, terminal rate. Um, with that, I will pause and uh, pass it on. Okay, great. Uh, thanks a lot, Blake. Um... On my end, there's uh, three things I want to discuss today. The one, uh, Bank of Canada. Second, uh, Canada-U.S. Uh, cross-market. And third, uh, the link between uh, bond yields and risk assets. So on the first topic, um, last week, Macklin was hawkish, uh, sticking to the script of the past few months and indicating that more tightening uh, was forthcoming. So, um, you know, unless we get a very favorable uh, CPI print, uh, 50 basis points uh, should be viewed as a floor uh, for the meeting at the end of October. And ultimately, uh, the market should be giving uh, some weight uh, to a 75 uh, basis point outcome. Uh, we do think the rate uh, tightening cycle will probably end in December, but the risks are clearly slanted to uh, more uh, rather than less over this horizon uh, and beyond. But um, in this context, we think the curve uh, should remain uh, biased to flattening. And if the Bank of Canada uh, does not signal uh, easing in the near future, uh, curves such as twos fives could reach uh, minus 80 basis points and twos tens uh, minus 100 basis points or more. Um, on the second topic, uh, Canada-U.S. Uh, cross-market, uh, it's been a hot topic for the investor community uh, the past few weeks. Um, you know, previously, Canada richened um, you know, very significantly versus the U.S. across the curve. But in the past uh, week uh, or so, Canada has started to underperform. Um, we have been short uh, Canada 10s versus U.S. 10s from uh, minus 67 basis points. And we're currently targeting a move to minus 20 uh, with a stop at minus 55. Um, there was significant momentum and persistence in uh, the Canada outperformance trade. And it could be the same in the other direction uh, over the coming weeks. And the last topic I want to discuss is the link between uh, bond yields and risk assets. And notably, uh, there's been a pretty robust uh, pattern uh, between uh, U.S. yields, uh, credit spreads, the dollar, and equities uh, over the past six months. Um, so the bond market's clearly in the driver's seat. And unfortunately, I don't think we can reach the situation where uh, equities rally or credit, credit spreads tighten on a sustained basis until the market becomes comfortable with uh, where the Fed will ultimately stop uh, with rate hikes and uh, the economic consequences of this tightening campaign. 
so the Fed's telling us uh, they'll you know go to 4.6 percent possibly. Uh, the front end of the curve uh, that's currently on board with that notion, but how long they keep rates high for uh, will probably be the deal breaker for uh, risk assets, along with um, obviously what happens in the UK. Uh, since it is uh, highly influencing uh, the global bond market uh, price action at the moment. Um, now over to uh, Dan Rico on the FX market. Thank you very much. Um, from the from the FX market, um, I think the important thing is, is to note that, that uh, the market has been trading kind of in a bimodal way uh, where uh, the dollar continues to dominate the, the overall story, but the market has been enough to praise some of the stories that have been working into correcting some of the macro imbalances in countries like Mexico, for example. Um, Mexico has been able to outperform the rest of the world. Uh, while we have seen a sustained depreciation in currencies like Asia, EM, even on the G10 space, most of the, most of the uh, DXY uh, components are, are are down. So while the dollar has moved around 24% year to day, the biggest question that we're getting asked by clients right now is when is this going to turn? Um, uh, we think that it's probably too early yet to, to call the top on the dollar side, uh, and we'd rather be on the more idiosyncratic, divergent stories uh, trade. Um, so for that reason, we've been uh, pitching very actively to be long max uh, the Mexican peso versus uh, sterling. Yeah, given the divergences on the fundamental stories, the large current account deficit, the triple deficit in the UK, and on the other side, from the Mexico side, like kind of the improvements on, on the benefits of the carry, which interest rate differential point around over 10%, 11%. So the benefits of the carry in some of these stories in EM have been very good into containing the recent volatility on the dollar and being able to, to hold very decently these currencies. Um, that's all from my side. Thank you. Okay, so uh, thanks for joining uh, this edition of Macro Minutes. What happens in the UK and US bond markets should be closely watched, especially if there's continued uh, contagion from gilts to treasuries um, in order to determine how broader risk um, asset markets will behave. Uh, there does remain a lot of uncertainty and a clear bullish path for risk assets will probably not be resolved over the next uh, few weeks and maybe not even over the next few months. Uh, so stay tuned for future editions of Macro Minutes to hear from our uh, asset class uh, experts. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.